0: Welcome to episode 41 of the Bulak podcast. Um, I'm Ursula Lindsay, and uh, with me as usual is Marsha Links-Quailey. Hi, Marsha. Hello. Happy end of the year episode. Thanks. Thanks. Um, So I am here in the offices and studio of Sot in Amman, um, and Marsha is in Rabat, uh and uh we are going to be wrapping up like you said this uh, our sort of fall season um with a look back uh so the idea is that we're going to talk about our top 5 favorite books of the year um and we have not discussed this in advance although i suspect there's going to be a lot of overlap maybe maybe not Maybe you've just got some real wild cards. <laughs> I, I do Maybe. have one wild card. <laughs> cool. I think mine are all probably pretty obvious to anybody who's been listening so far. Um, and uh, and I should also say, uh, so my sort of the way I decided what books were kind of eligible for the list, um, they're all books that have been published in the last year, obviously, and also that, you know, fall into this category of the books that we are concerned with. So that are, you know, uh, either uh, by authors from Arab countries or the Arab region, or or, or have a very strong connection to it in, in in some way. Um So they're not, so it's not the list of, all the books I read last year that I loved the most, there were maybe a f- there were a few that uh, you know aren't from this region or connected to this region, so they got left off.
1: Right? Yeah, I, for instance, loved Colson Whitehead's *The Nickel Boys*, but that's not on my list.
0: Yeah, I um, I would have probably put like a Sally Rooney book maybe in there. Um, uh, and also like I'm always reading books, you know, that aren't new. I'm not actually much of a reader of like. I don't necessarily read the latest books. I feel like often I'm catching up or reading things from decades ago. Um, so that, but that topicality is part of this list, um, right? And one, one other thing I'd say about my list is
1: that somebody had written me earlier asking me to put together a list of the most important books of 2019, and then I, uh, I sort of found that that didn't overlap with this list which I focused more on the books that uh, gave me the most pleasure in 2019.
0: Yeah, that was my, this was, that's my, that was my understanding too. It's like, I'm, these are books that I would like recommend to someone just as a good read. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Because Yeah, similarly for, for Alphanar, for this site that covers education and culture, I had put together a, a year end list. And that's a little bit more kind of trying to give a sense, still totally personal and idiosyncratic, but sort of of the breadth of things, um, being published in the region. And so it's, it's books of interest, but that aren't necessarily, you know, always my I mean, not all of them are personal favorites, sometimes it's just because well, this is like a really important you know there's an important body of knowledge that was produced in this book
1: right, and I found that yeah idiosyncratically i I seem to really like collections of things who oh, no. know
0: ah, do you yes, <laughs> okay all right well listen so so we're gonna count down, so we're gonna do like our our um All right, number five on both of our lists. Do you want to start?
1: I will because my number five is a wild card. And I only came across my number five pretty recently because I collect uh, belatedly always lists of uh, Arabophone authors' favorites of the year. Of of also their books that were f- published this year, and one that I saw popping up on several lists, particularly Dunya Camel wrote very passionately about it, and so did Mohammed Abdel Nebi, who wrote um, in the Spider's Room, was Room Three Hundred Four, hiding from my beloved father for thirty five years, and uh, by Amr Zed. and I so <laughs> I, I I felt I needed to go out and read it and once i started reading it i really um i i became passionately engaged in it just uh, i suppose as as Dunyan Muhammad had and um it's about fathers and sons and uh and in the relationship between particularly between fathers and sons although also between parents and children and and how that relates? How there's a, you know uh it's a both a compassionate and and a and a loving relationship and also an autocratic relationship. Uh, the 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 happy sides of it and and the sides that where he hides how much he hides from his father. So how he is so extremely present to his father and so extremely hidden and and absolutely invisible to his father at the same time. And I'm going to just read uh, a brief passage. And uh, it was or- it's already been... I contacted Amr about maybe translating uh, an excerpt for Arab Lit and find that Yasmin Zahdi and Nora Amin from Madam Masr have already translated the entire book. So I'm going to read a short passage in their translation. What annoyed him the most were my shyness, my exaggerated quietness, and my social attitude inclined to withdrawal. He wondered why I didn't say hello to the neighbors and to the shop owners on the street. Well, why should I? I remember how upset he was when he noticed it, which he always did when I went out before him, how I would walk silently toward my destination when he would come after me, saluting everybody in a friendly voice, inquiring about their well-being, and the whole scene behind me would become loud with a mutual affection that always seemed sincere. He asked me once in a joking voice, isn't it a commandment of Islam to greet people by saying, Assalamu Alaikum, Sheikh Amr? I did not need to have studied religion as a Salafi student back then to be able to answer him quickly with a smile, ruining his plan. Greeting people with Assalamu Alaikum is preferred, but not obligatory. Responding to others' greetings is the commandment. OK, he said, laughing. OK, you son of a dog. It was his habit to use son of a dog or sons of a dog when he was happy and playful, and also when he was angry and tense. To hear it in the playful tone could put me in a good mood for hours, while hearing it in the angry tone would leave me worried and nervous for days. He liked to use that expression when pointing out how I resembled him in aspects that I shouldn't, for the sake of good parenting like staying up all night and sleeping till noon. He always liked, after reprimanding me, to suddenly shift to humor, saying, "'Who do you take after, you son of a dog? I have no clue!' All right. So that is a passage, and it, it sort of hints already that he uh, is, as a teenager, uh, studying with Salafis, although he does not ultimately turn out to be a passionate
0: Salafi himself. Mm. That sounds very nice. So, so it's already been translated into English. Is it? Is it already? Is there an agreement to publish it somewhere already? Or uh, yes, I, uh, it's uh through this uh, project
1: with the german something i can't remember we'll we'll have it in the show notes
0: okay all right um yeah that sounds that sounds lovely and um and it rings very true that little passage yeah i the, even though it's the-
1: specifically about fathers and sons i felt so much about just parental relationships in general
0: yeah all right. Well, so my number five is um, Our Woman on the Ground. Uh, okay. Uh, which is a collection of essays by female uh, Arab journalists or Arab hyphen something else journalists. Some of them are of Arab origin and have grown up elsewhere and then returned to the region. Um But uh, edited by Zahra Hanker. And uh, we've talked about this book on a previous episode, um, as we have about a lot of my choices. And um, I just, I mean, obviously, it sort of hits a sweet spot for me because it's about journalism and it's about the region. And it's about, you know, in some way, uh, the point of view and the particular issues of female reporters um, and I think it's just a very successful collection. Um, it doesn't impose a, too strong of a frame. There's a lot of variety in the voices. There's a lot of variety in points of view. And there's a lot of, like, emotional honesty. Um, and I was pretty, like, captivated, not by all of them, but, like, by quite quite a few of the entries.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I guess then uh, I have nothing to say about my number four, which is the same
0: book. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I figured this is this is going to happen. No, why don't you seg into <laughs> your number four? Do you have anything to add? <laughs> well, one of the things that I've been thinking about about this book is that
1: some ways that it's framed, it's like, oh, okay, here's the point of view on reporting from Arab women. It's the own voice what do Arab women think about reporting from the Arab world? But the reason that this collection was significant to me was the ways in which it interrogates journalism as a whole, it, 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 the ways in which it inter- interrogates reporting from elsewhere. Uh, and, and, and what it means to report from a place where you are engaged and aren't engaged emotionally in the stories uh, of the people who live there and and i thought that it you know several of the essays really brought me in, entirely new thoughts about about this profession and and that's what i really enjoyed about it and like i said i i seem to have a bias towards Collections of, of things, um, I, I I enjoy collections of things that fit together well, where the different aspects of it speak to to each other, um, and I think that these do speak to each other. You can uh, find something in in one essay about about a person's personal relationship to reporting that they have a, a left. I found it really powerful, also that she didn't impose, you know, kind of an uplifting ending or a neat ending. Um, there was the one really devastating essay. Um, and, uh, and, and how, just how they, they spoke to each other about different ways of, of approaching this, this same profession.
0: Yeah. Um, I think you could have a book that explores some of these themes in reporting from other parts of the world, like this issue of how to act almost like as a translator Mm. um, between, I mean, that sounds cliched, but between cultures, I mean, because you have a particular access culturally and linguistically when you're from the place. And I think it's actually been a very positive development that you have more and more, First of all, you have a lot of female reporters and you have more and more reporters, I think, from the region reporting on the region in Western media. Um uh and, and then of course in, in local media, but a lot of the people featured here are sort of doing both. Um and uh and but that that role I think is uh of is a, is a difficult one and there's you know uh, feelings also of like guilt and frustration at sort of like being the the person who's who's sort of in between these narratives and sort of trying to make them make sense.
1: Right, and a great deal of grief too. There was a lot of loss yeah, well, in, in these different essays.
0: Yeah, I mean because these are like real w- w- war zone reporters and the, and the things that they've witnessed are 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 very very dramatic. Um, okay, so that was your number four. It was. <laughs> So my number four. I feel like our 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 lists are going to end up being like a perfect braid, where we're probably we have like all the same books just in slightly different order, <laughs> uh, possibly. So my number four, I think, is and I I I kind of went back and forth on the last the order of the list uh, until the last minute, and I could probably be persuaded to change it slightly. But is the book of disappearance okay by Ibtisem Azem? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which we also talked about, uh, and, uh, which, um, which I don't consider to be a perfect book, but which I consider to be a very intriguing book. And, um, which makes me sort of very much look forward to what else this writer will write. Um, and, uh, that has so the premise of the book uh is is simply that uh one day in Israel uh people wake up and all uh the arab israelis all the uh israelis of palestinian uh origin who live in Israel are gone uh, have disappeared and nobody quite knows uh what's happened to them uh whether uh this is part of uh some sort of strike or sneak attack on their part, or they've all been secretly deported by the arm by the Israeli army. Um, and but by sort of removing them from the plot, suddenly it puts in motion uh, this quite vivid story um, about about the relationships between Israelis and Palestinians. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, I just thought it was a striking striking book and a book with a lot of momentum. Um,
1: yeah, definitely. I considered trying to force into one one line item this uh, Book of Disappearance and Palestine Plus 100, which is also uh-huh. speculative fiction um, set in different places in Palestine because, well, partly because I wrote an essay about those two books together. And so they kind of have twinned together in my mind, but also because there are so many ghosts in, in both of those fictions. I mean, people who are present and absent at the same time, um, and and yeah, I, I really enjoyed how those all the different stories in Palestine Plus One Hundred, which are stories all set in twenty forty eight, uh, by different. Uh, I can't remember ten different Palestinian writers. Twelve different Palestinian writers. Twelve, I think, uh, and. And Ibtissam's book, which is also speculative fiction, um, with this you know this great premise of disappearance to, to begin it, to set off the action. Um, but I, 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 I decided that was against the rules, so I did not do that.
0: So is Palestine plus 100 on your list? It, it isn't. see, I, I really I really I had uh, 15 books.
1: And the list, and I did put it on my most important books of 2019 list, but um but I, I did not end up having it here. Uh, I I can't justify that, but um it's okay. <laughs> but <laughs> like you only you said, let you me have gr- five. <laughs> it was terrible. Well, you're
0: still taught. You're still taught. Yeah, I know. I, I I I'm I was the one with the with the stricter the stricter rules. The whole thing, anyway, of having a list. It's a, it's just a way, it's just a kind of way to set up a game so that you can like talk about books. Like it's just a kind of artificial, and you're talking about this other book anyway, So. All right. That, that's the whole thing. You end up talking about books that aren't on the list. The list is just a pretext. Okay. And so you don't have to feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) I do feel bad. I actually have this
1: little introduction of all the people before my list, of all the people I really feel bad about not mentioning their book.
0: I can just see you, like, <laughs> with a stack of books in front of you that you've sort of, like, anthropomorphized so much that you're, like, kind of, like, looking apologetically at the books that you haven't included. Yeah, well, I do, I, like, uh,
1: I have this, uh, I I've decided I didn't put Shabek Lebek by Dina Mohammed on the list because uh, I have to wait until the whole trilogy is out, you know, so... <laughs>
0: Well anyway we'll have a chance at the end we're going to talk about a few of the books that um that are forthcoming and that we haven't had a chance to read but that we're looking forward to reading. Right um and then you know we can always do like we can do we can do more lists later on if if people are into it um let's all right oh uh, three. where are we I'm a, I, number three me, number
1: three which is going to be a very obvious one um we talked about it last episode my <gasps> my number 3 is palestine as metaphor by mahmoud darwish translated by amira zayn and caroline Fruchet, which is a collection of if you didn't listen to last episode, is a collection of five interviews with Darwish that came out in French translation in I think ninety six, translated either from the Arabic or one of one the long, uh, wonderful prickly interview from the from the Hebrew, and this November from Interlink Books for the first time in English.
0: So it is also my number three. <laughs> perfect, perfect synchronicity. Um, yeah, I really, I mean, I I guess one thing I wondered is, I think it's a very nice book of interviews, um, really enjoyable to read, uh, very interesting. Um, I wondered, you know, how broad is its appeal in the sense of like, do you, you probably already have to know who he is and 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 know his work to be drawn to it. I would guess. Like I wouldn't give it to somebody who was unfamiliar. Like it doesn't. I would, really I would give quite it to any, an int-
1: any poet. I would definitely give it to any poet.
0: That's true.
1: Any poet That's or true. somebody who is interested in, well, I don't know, you know, who knew his work specifically or was interested in. Palestine specifically, but
0: definitely any poet. Yeah, no, that's true, because the discussions of the craft itself, I mean, I think what's um, because of this book, of course, drives you back towards the poetry, right? Because he's talking about his work all the time. And so you almost want to read it in tandem with like, his books. I mean, because they also kind of fill out the picture, like, in a way, it's it's hard to know exactly what he's... I mean, to get the full picture of what he's talking about, you want to read the poetry collections that he's discussing in these interviews. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, I guess
1: if, for so, it to be my number one, <laughs> you would have to have right. also, you know, 500 <laughs> pages of Mahmoud Darwish's poetry in there as well.
0: Right. I mean, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's a this is not a criticism in any way of the book. I just think that the type of book it is, is of course somewhat specialized. Um, uh, I think he is such a sort of brilliant conversationalist that it's probably has quite a broad appeal. Um, but uh you almost want to... If you were going to give it to somebody you'd have to give it to them in a pack with like a couple of his poetry books that's not a bad right? idea yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah well no that's that's yeah that's a nice idea but um, yeah I also I also really really enjoyed that book and I, I have I've have a forthcoming review of it coming out I think in the new year
1: excellent well, um, we'll look for it.
0: Uh, okay. Now
1: it's my number, number two. two. Okay. Well, my number two is also somewhat of a left fielder that we haven't talked about this book, um, although we have talked about this author. Uh, it's uh, Souls of Edo by Stella Gaetano, which came out this year from Rafiki Publishing. It is not yet in English, although uh, I know Savad Hussain is working on on a translation it's uh okay so why why do i love it so much that i would stick it up this high first of all i think uh, stella Gaetano is a, a fantastic writer with just this incredibly vibrant sense for for sensory detail and this is if um, room 304 is about fathers and sons this is about mothers and daughters and it's set it's a historical novel set in the 70s and 80s in South Sudan and Sudan, uh, right up until the moment uh, Bashir seizes power in 89. And uh, <laughs> but, it's, but it's about motherhood in this period, in this very difficult period, um, different types uh, and different relationships to motherhood, including not being a mother. Um, and <laughs> the various smells of breast milk throughout the novel are pretty kind of disgusting, actually, uh, but so vivid. Uh, you know, there are some aspects of motherhood I've never seen, dis- this, some sensory aspects I've never seen described so well and kind of disgustingly. disgustingly. <laughs> uh,
0: you know. In a, in a good way. So, in a good way. <laughs> so, and do you want can you tell a little bit about the plot? Or? Sure. So it, it starts out in
1: South Sudan, which is, oh, where Stella Gaetano's family is from. It starts out with a woman who, you know, all her babies have died. She's, you know, she's barricaded in, in herself in with a dead baby and she's forcing breast milk in its mouth and sort of the opening thing. Uh, But war sort of war is civil war is coming. um, And her one daughter who lives, who she ends up sort of not being attached to because she's now lost 10 babies and can't attach anymore to anybody um has to flee to the north to khartoum and 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 how build build a new life there and it's you know the story of civil conflict through the eyes of her daughter lucy um teresa who they they lived with live with um uh galat who's uh, uh an attorney and you know how their lives are increasingly made smaller uh, through these civil conflicts, and and then eventually, as Al Bashir takes over, and and many of them flee the country. So it's in and this book is in part it's because I I I'm, I haven't read that much uh, Sudanese historical fiction. I certainly have never read any South Sudanese historical fiction. Um, it, it illuminated sort of corners of the universe that I didn't know about, but then also was so relatable in in terms of, you know, different, you know, how vivid smells are during pregnancy and some of, you know, different aspects of early motherhood. And the book is available in English? No, it's not. It's only available currently in Arabic, but I know Savad is working on a
0: translation. Yeah, you've mentioned her work before.
1: Um, you you can get Withered Flowers, her, her short story collection in English, uh, in translation by Anthony Calderbank, and I strongly recommend that.
0: I like both of your uh, two books that you've mentioned that I haven't read. I'm very convinced from your description that I should
1: good well, I've been trying to convince no. publishers uh to get in touch with Savad because she's got a sample and a reader's report, so
0: yeah yes you're your 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 matchmaking <laughs> in the service of <laughs> no, I think it's lovely, I think it's I think it's really a public service um so what about you number so- two? Okay, so for me, number two, I think much more obvious choice, but 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 very heartfelt, is Celestial Bodies.
1: Okay. I felt that... Okay, so I read that in 2018, uh, the British edition, so I didn't
0: include that. But go ahead. So I only read it last year, and maybe I broke the rules? No, no, no. The U.S. I'm the US sure.
1: edition came out this year. Um,
0: so. And in fact, yeah, I mean, in fact, I only... Uh, picked it back up recently. So we talked about this book, um, which is a sort of sweeping family saga set in Oman by an Omani writer and, um, uh, you know, which won the international booker and has now been translated into many languages. Um, We talked about, I think, last spring. Uh, And at that point, I'd read a couple chapters and then... I picked it back up for this episode cuz I was like I think that book was really good I I want to make sure. And I and I do think it's very good and I also think it the translation um like really the translation of most of the books on this list like all the books on this list actually you know w- you're also commending the translator uh like one one of the reasons that these books give a lot of pleasure to read, so the translation by Marilyn booth I think is is really excellent yeah and i,
1: I there was um, a very distressing c n n interview with christine Ambonpur I think where she Marilyn booth was in the studio and Joel hardy was uh on satellite link up and and Christine Ambvapur said to Marilyn booth, well you must be a competent interpreter she said and like uh
0: what competent 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 is such a back competent Competent. is such a backhanded uh way of describing someone's work i
1: know i really actually choked on what i think i was drinking a, a cup of tea or something uh marilyn booth is a brilliant translator
0: uh Yeah, I think she just does such like I mean, it it reads beautifully and also all these choices as to how to translate. There's a lot of proverbs, there's poetry, um, there's sometimes she chooses to leave the Arabic word in, uh, but it's all it's all done like so smoothly, like you don't even sort of notice, Mm. you know? It just it just flows along, but there is a lot of like texture, um, to the language uh it doesn't get like flattened out into uh it doesn't get flattened into sort of like english and at the same time it doesn't um it's
1: not ever impenetrable you don't ever feel like
0: oh it's never awkward it's never awkward because sometimes people do that thing where they're like you know in the service of kind of foreignization you know Supposedly remaining loyal Mm. to the original text. And this is like a whole debate that we could have. I I know where I fall on this, on this, on this discussion. They, they, they sort of leave it sounding a little bit, yeah, leave it sounding foreign or awkward. And I think that that is a shortcoming. I think that the truly great translators managed to do both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can see Marilyn's text does not in any way domesticate the text in the way, you know, People.
0: It has its flavor. It has its flavor of where, of where it, you know, its own distinct, uh, texture. Um, but you never stop and f- with the feeling that like something just rang wrong right. in your head. But then like I, a sentence didn't. Right.
1: Then I also want to say that a number of people sort of accused said, well, uh, because the book did not have wide acclaim in Arabic before it was published, before it won the Man Booker International. Some people said, oh, she improved the translation. Oh, you know, who is this uh, Omani woman who won this prize? Um, so, you know, I think both the book itself uh, in its original is remarkable and Marilyn's translation is remarkable. and. All the people uh, uh, who who discard both, either the original production or the process of translation,
0: are wrong. Right. So um, I have a little passage that I wouldn't mind reading, and and I don't know why. Actually, it sort of struck me. You know how sometimes you are moved by something mm-hmm. in a book, which isn't necessarily like the most dramatic or clever seen in the book but it just kind of stays with you right um so this is as happens often in the book like the 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 various characters are were often in their heads as they kind of move back and forth in time and think back and are caught up in memories and there's a very smooth uh, ability to kind of um interweave a lot of different times Um, so this is one of the like older generation of women um, have you know thinking back to her childhood Um, she wrapped the baby up again tightly and settled the little bundle on her lap this is her grandchild that we're talking about this is my interjection and now I I won't add anything else she examined her face for a moment and closed her eyes Opening them, it was not her granddaughter that she saw. She didn't even see Mohammed or Hamad, her two dear departed ones, nor did she see Azan's glum face. Her eyes weren't taking in the blue paint on the walls or the shelves set into their thicknesses, where the porcelain sat on display. What she saw was her uncle's house. Her uncle's house... No, what she really saw was the thin line where the high, thick wall of that fortress met the sky. How many years had plodded by as she leaned against the kitchen's outside wall, listening to the slave women quarreling inside, and the slave men's jokes, and shouting on the other side, the children screaming and fighting in the courtyard, the high-pitched screech of her uncle's wife belting out commands, and no one ever listened to Selima. Salima and no one ever spoke to her. So many years had passed as she leaned there against the wall, unseen and unheard, staring at the line where the wall met the sky. Many times since those days she had tried to remember what her feelings were as she leant there slumped against the wall. Did she feel any sadness when she learned her father had died? Did she feel any longings for her mother? Was she angry? She didn't remember any of these things, though she tried. All she recalled was a sun so bright it hurt her eyes, and the odor of kitchen smoke everywhere. She did remember one sensation, especially well: hunger. Mm. And that's it. I don't know. It's um, and this is a character. This comes halfway or a third through the book. You've seen this woman actually as a powerful, almost domineering mother uh in in wife in the story and then you get this very sad and vulnerable glimpse of uh of a backstory which is something that happens with many of the characters and without being like sentimental and without being melodramatic but you 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 find out how people have suffered in their lives in their families uh, throughout the story
1: yeah I think the book is really wonderfully anti-sentimental
0: yeah it it uh it does not tie things up very neatly it does not um smooth things over uh and the- and you really don't know how people's stories are gonna end like it, you you really don't know what will happen like things aren't there's no neat pattern. The only pattern, in a way, is that almost nobody gets what they want. <laughs> well,
1: I suppose that
0: that <laughs> is how it is. But uh, one of the things I really like about it too,
1: it's it's you know, it's a novel with a large histo. Well, not a large, but it's a novel with historical sweep that neither prioritizes the the present or the past.
0: That uh, it all it it also feels to me like this kind of a story that's about sort of like in some way, the status of women in a Muslim and an Arab society so often gets written, even unconsciously or even with good intentions, it sort of gets written with this kind of like awareness of what the Western discourse on this is and a kind of in reaction to mm. that, whether it's like confirming stereotypes or it's actually trying to kind of like, uh, you know, uh, break those stereotypes. But in the end, th- those stereotypes are very present, right? And it sort of doesn't, you, it's hard, you sort of have a hard time getting out of this very tiresome kind of set of preconceptions. And to me, this book read like that wasn't there. Like, it was its own story. It feels very, like, self-assured and very, um like, it's not being written with a sort of look over your shoulder at, like you know, what do I need to make sure to say or not say because I'm stuck in this whole discourse about women from this part of the world?
1: Yeah, and right. Like very confident. I, I, I guess, uh, you know, it. The Souls of Edo by Stella Gaetano reminded me very strongly of uh, Celestial Bodies or Sayyidat al-Qamar in that way, that it is a, very much a, a Sudanese story told for a, a South Sudanese and North Sudanese audience a, that foregrounds women's women's lives and women's stories, but um, not in a way that feels like it's taboo-breaking or not taboo-breaking.
0: And in the end, that actually ends up being genuinely universal and totally accessible to anybody. Because when you're writing about, like, there's these particularities of tradition and of culture, but in the end... Um, the you can totally relate to these predicaments to the damage that certain kinds of parenting does to uh the you know to not being able to choose your partner and how that or to being in a loveless marriage like these things are whether you're a man or a woman, these things are in fact um. Like you totally feel that.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the moment where her, I can't remember which which of the women's husbands is trying to get her to be romantic. And she's like, oh my God, get off my back, dude. Um, I, I found that so, so relatable.
0: Yeah, not to be terrible. <laughs> All right, never mind. Uh, I think you. I think you need to add something there. I think you need to add something there about how lovely your husband is. <laughs> I know your husband; he's really lovely. I, just, I am an, an anti-sentimental, anti-romantic person as well. So, right, right. Um okay, and so moving along, I have a feeling we might have the same oh, number. Oh no, one. okay, well I'm gonna say mine first. Um
1: well Go for I it. think you know the the clue of of my number one was in my number three, which as I said, as metaphor would be non- my number one if it included Mahmoud Darwish's poetry as well. So my number one is Wanous's collection, Sentence to Hope, which does both have four plays in it. And a series of interviews and essays. So uh, it's also, I believe, the first collection of this very major playwright's work to appear in English translation, which was done by Robert Myers and Nada Saib, who are both, I think, at the uh, American University in Beirut. And uh, I, I think some of these, some individual plays have been translated previously, but that this is a major collection to pay tribute to a major author,
0: yeah. So I think because I reviewed this book, and then there was a letter to the editor because I didn't mention some of the previous translations. Oh. So um, uh, it's the fir- It's definitely the first um, translation that is this comprehensive and is aimed at a general audience. Okay. I think there may have been one previous, like very specialized. Uh, edition, maybe from a university press. Of course, now I can't remember. And then there are various translations of individual plays that had already been done by other scholars. Um, I'm just writing this because... I got <laughs> because they actually describe it as the first English language and what they mean is it's it's the first one of this kind of scope and 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 this kind of accessibility um and and that's 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 what they mean when they say it's the first of its kind um uh yeah it's so that's that's also my number my number one and I think so Sadala Wanus and we've talked about him but he was a Really major Syrian playwright, but that one would not be aware of probably without this translation, um, that is not well known in the West. Um, and, uh, he had this, his sort of career and his work is very interestingly entwined with sort of major political developments, uh, in the region. So he started, um, it was one of his most famous plays is in response to the 1967 uh, Arab-Israeli War. And um, he really believed at first in the power of theater to, like, mobilize people politically. He literally dreamed that people would watch his plays, which were interactive and, and, and experimental for their time, and would, like, go out and the theater and, like, protest. Um, and that didn't happen. And he went through a period of great disillusionment and depression and then had this wonderful second act to his career where his plays changed and their focus changed and it became sort of more focus on individual freedom to sort of sum it up a bit too bluntly perhaps. But, um yeah, yeah, and really, one of the really one of the artist. wonderful things
1: about it is I, I am one of those horrible readers who might skip a translator's forward or a scholar's forward, but I absolutely loved having him in interviews and essays of his own, talking about how he felt about his work and particularly how he felt during this this moment where he of disillusionment, and then this moment of reengagement of. Of finding us human beings worth writing
0: plays for, after all. Um. So there's um, there's a couple quotes that sort of speak to that that I could mention. Um, he, so, so in these essays at the end of the of the book, which are very nicely selected, like you say, to kind of speak back and forth to the work, he has a quote where he says a writer thinks that he can change the world, but then he discovers that it is only a dream to feel that you're marginal and that your words are wasted is painful to know that only a few cultured people hear what you are saying. This is a disappointing discovery. Um, but then he sort of overcame in a way that disappointment or sort of came to terms with it um, and he has another quote where he says the image that had shaken me and was consequently reflected in my works is the image of the defeated arab individual who despite his defeat tries to find his way and take responsibility for his fate but finds nothing but difficulties and obstacles
1: yeah and despite his his cancer diagnosis he sort of wrote to the end of wrote frantically to the end of his life and left us with several works
0: yeah and and in this quote he talked that the arab individual is 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 gendered male but one of the sort of remarkable things about the end of his career is how he went from a very pretty standard like almost macho <laughs> vision of agency of historical agency and political agency, which was like very coded, very male in his mm-hmm. early plays, even though they were subversive of authority to then like having a really kind of deep interest in, in, in female characters and sort of sexual liberation and non-conforming people who didn't conform, uh, um, you know, also like, yes, has a very interesting homosexual relationship in one of his plays. So, yeah, he really had a – and and I think the reason I probably, in a way, he's my number one is because I wrote an article about him. And w- when you do that, you have to read people so closely that you, you know, you just read them in a way that you don't read a book that you just kind of pick up. So so I think in a way it, like, forced me to really engage with him a lot. And so then it made him very dear right. to me well, as, a, yeah. as an artist. I guess I, yeah.
1: I'm not sure if I wrote something about this or not. <laughs> it wasn't a major piece if I did. But I do, I also felt him become a sort of a member of my family uh, but from this uh, – both, the you know, reading his plays and then reading his thoughts about his plays. Um and then I guess I think I watched a documentary uh, about him as well. I just became very engaged with him.
0: There's a lovely documentary. I think I know the one you're talking about that his friend made of him when he was dying of yes, cancer. that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, he's someone who took his art so seriously and and politics so seriously, but then there's a kind of sweetness and, and also just an undeniable talent. I also think you see quite a few parallels between the kinds of issues that he discusses and the kinds of issues that come up in those interviews with the Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. Um, it's it's similar, right? Like In a way, they both um, are very concerned with how to be artistically free, when you're very politically engaged yes. and you're engaged in these like national almost i mean is there national liberation movements i mean uh or nationalist movements and so you you you're trying you're kind of struggling with the place of the individual of the artist who is very individual of this sort of the individual within a Uh, a a larger political commitment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I did find a lot of echoes. So maybe if I was going to give, well, okay, yeah, why not just give all the books we just mentioned?
0: (laughs) They're all very Mm. good books. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to look back because, of course, I forgot everything I read this year. I found Um, it to be much more torturous
1: because I had a list of 15 and then I had to start plucking them off. And then I, I had to start I had down. to start imagining people listening to this
0: podcast and saying,
1: oh, "Marsha didn't mention my book.
0: Never imagine people listening to the <laughs> podcast. That's your first mistake. <laughs> um no, I, I for me it was sort of like because I really just forget what I've read entirely. Um that's why I find, you know, physical bookshelves so useful because you can actually walk by and be reminded of of, of the books that you've read. Because um, if they're on a Kindle, like, forget about it, you know. I'll-
1: yeah, that's true. I was at, at first going to choose five books that I'd read in November and December because ah. those were the most vivid in my memory. Right, right, right.
0: Um So and then we were gonna also take a little look forward at a few books that um, we're excited uh, to get our hands on. Yeah, no, I just want to say that
1: that I wanted to talk about seven forthcoming books, but (laughs) Ursula
0: won't let me. I think you could talk about all seven, but maybe not. Maybe not all right now. I mean, maybe we'll get. People will be like, why did you censor Marcia and not let her talk about (laughs) all the books that she wants to mention? Um, I just know sometimes it's hard to keep track of things that you're, like, hearing on the radio. I I agree
1: that you're correct. I just – I'm going to pout about it anyway.
0: You could put in the show notes, you can put, like, here are the books that Ursula censored. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Here (laughs) – that Ursula didn't let me talk about. No, I mean, if we have time – Uh, let's talk about as many as possible, but, um, uh, I, should I start? Go ahead. I
1: started with the countdown, so you can start with this.
0: So this is a book that was supposed to have come out this year, but has actually, as far as I know, I think I just saw like on social media today, maybe that the, the book itself has finally actually come out. And this is this book about architecture in Cairo, Cairo since 1900. Ah, okay. Um, I also saw about it on social media today. Yeah, and uh, and this is by, put together by Mohammed El Shehid of the Great Cairo Observer blog um, and I mean I'm very interested in the city of Cairo obviously like lived there for a long time and and, and I'm very, I'm very interested in this book. Um, I, I like writing about cities, and this is focused on the the architecture of the 20th century, which is sort of not particularly valorized or um, looked after um, in many in many Arab cities, because really the focus is always kind of more on the antiquities. If it's on protecting anything. Um so i I definitely want to get my hands on that if I like public announcement, send it to me, please I'll have to follow up with this is from AUC press that's putting it out right and
1: I that's one of the many books I'm intending to get in Cairo
0: next month. Mm.
1: um so actually so I'm gonna just mention two uh, translations that are coming out okay uh, next year. the first is the magnificent it's it's it's, it's the great in arabic but it's going to it's going to be translated as the magnificent Khan man of cairo It was a book by adil Kamal translated by walid al musharraf and they've used a fo- an old foreword from nagib Mahfoud. and it's coming out in march and it's it was a night sort of a 1942 uh, you know cult classic uh, adil Kamal only wrote published between 1938 and 1942 his his work was well received by certain people, including Nagi Mahfoud, but not, not sort of widely acclaimed in the way and, and rejected by the state critical apparatus. And so he quit writing. Um, but it was republished in 2014 and sort of re-celebrated. And it is this kind of satirical work in the vein of Wiggy Rally and Albert Kossary, uh, uh in, in uh, a satire of early to mid 20th century uh cairo uh and and the you know with uh, the divisions between wealthy and and poor in particular um uh, there there's two main characters Malim uh and khaled uh, a carpenter's apprentice and the son of a pasha, and it's both satiric. Uh, it's a sort of satiric realism, and I think this will be. Huh. I, I'm I'm not sure how big of a splash it will make because it is this sort of cult classic, slow burn. But I think it will be engagingly funny.
0: Well, if it and who doesn't like that? If it really, I mean, Albert Cosri. And Maguireli are two of my favorite favorite writers. So, um, if it's at all, uh, you know, uh, sort of in in, if it, if 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 it's similar in some way, or if it has the same effect as those books, then 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 I would love it. Um, so uh, that's also interesting that it that it's that that it's a rediscovery like this. I feel like there's so many writers in the region to be rediscovered?
1: Well, I think their own, you know, publishing only started being English language publishing only started being interested in uh, in Arabic literature very recently. So in terms of translations, anything that was published, anything that's not by Nigib Mahfouz that was published before, you know, 1990, forget about it. And then also, you know, just in terms of Arabic, you know, there's been a lot of books, and some of them were fantastic out of their time. You know, he wrote in a very straightforward and non-flowery Arabic that at the time people were like, "What? This this isn't good Arabic." Uh, wh- whereas now, I think people read it differently.
0: Huh. Okay, so that was one of the two that you're allowed. Yes. Okay. My my other <laughs> my other. <laughs> My other
1: one is Impostures by Al-Hariri, translated by, which has been translated at least a couple times before, I think. But here translated into different versions by Michael Cooperson with a forward by Abdel Fattah Lito. So this is a major, this is also sort of a rediscovery, I guess, of a major writer, poet and scholar who lived in the 11th and 12th century in Basra known for you know his sort of standard setting maqamat um this genre between poetry and prose and Michael Cooperson working to sort of reengage uh these these extremely playful works and and make them revivify them in in um, in English
0: cool um, well i will just mention one other book which uh, I've been hearing a lot about uh, and that I'm intrigued by and that is uh, yet again Egyptian. I feel like I'm pretty Egyptian-centric somehow, it seems, uh, in my literary interests. But this is the the new book by Imen Marcel. Um, yes, definitely. So... Um, in pursuit of, so yeah, right. in in pursuit of, in pursuit of, yeah, and it ha- her, that's how everybody's translating it. And this, and uh, it's anayet uh, zayet. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. This is a, again, a an, an Egyptian female writer of which no one practically remembered anything. I think it, so it, until Marcel decided to kind of go on her. Traces and 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 find out about her. And I I haven't read the book, uh, but it is being talked about very much. And we have read and discussed uh, other books uh, by Marcella, and we both like her very much. And um, so I yeah, I and definitely... people
1: I respect, right? People I respect are raving about the book. So I'm pretty sure you can't go wrong if you go get it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's 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 one to 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 keep an eye out for. Um, and then, I mean, we will keep uh the 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 rest of the rich upcoming um books of the of two thousand twenty for a future episodes, um, okay, yeah, so you have to keep listening if you want to know what's going to be published next year, yeah, I mean, obviously, there's nowhere else they could go, so it's just. <laughs> Only here. Only here can they find out. Um, At least one of us will be in Cairo in January. So when we pick up again uh, in the new year, I'm sure we will be discussing literature uh, from Egypt and the literary scene in Egypt, among many other things. We have plans. Um, So we'll be taking a a break for the holidays and then back with a series of episodes in the winter.
1: Yes. And I, for one, will be bringing an empty suitcase to Cairo to fill it with new books.
0: Cool. Well, maybe I'll, the, yeah, I'll, I'll ask you to pick up a few things, though. what I'd really like to do is come myself, but that's to, to be determined also. We'll see. Um, but, uh, you know, happy holidays and happy new year to everybody. Um, and uh, if, you, uh, if you don't already uh, subscribe to the podcast uh, through one of the many platforms where you can listen to it, please do. Uh, if you've enjoyed uh, this fall season, uh, please share and recommend and encourage others to listen. Yes. And I think that's it. All
1: right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy two thousand twenty.
0: Yeah, and to you too. It was great talking to you. Yes, definitely. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.